podcast, uh, really fun uh, talk I gave to uh, one of our great clients uh, at VaynerMedia, Chase. Uh, they were doing something for their community and their employees and their great clients in the Brooklyn kind of East Coast area. Kind of fun keynote, but more importantly, it was, it was supposed to be a keynote. It turned into hardcore small business Q&A. So many of you listening here in the small business world or have family members in it. Uh, highly productive, detailed conversation. I hope you enjoy it uh, very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey guys, good morning. Uh, so, what I'd love to do is, uh, I see they formulated kind of like a talk and then a Q&A, given the size of the room, and uh, I'll create some context, but I'd love to do as much Q&A as possible. At, at the end of the day, when you speak or do anything, value is the most important part, and the reality is anybody here can go to YouTube and get a lot of context on my points of view of the current state of business. The reason over the last three years, everyone's like, everybody knows that guy, is because I'm a byproduct of regret in 2001, two, three, four on Google AdWords, and I promised myself that I wouldn't make the same mistake on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, and that's why everybody knows who I am, because I'm putting it all in because I know the ads are underpriced, but I also know that all the advice I would give you in practical terms right now on running on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn is not as good of a deal as it was 24 months ago because people are starting to figure it out. And everything I'm about to say is not gonna be as good of a deal in 24 months from now. It's just supply and demand of attention. But if you are not making hundreds of pictures and videos and running ads against them on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, you are missing out on an enormous amount of growth in your business, and somebody's gonna raise their hand in here in 15 minutes and say, yeah, Gary, but in my industry, it's not like that, which is fundamentally the thing I hear every day, but my customer's not on that. The number one conversion demo for me right now on Facebook is 50 to 80-year-olds on Facebook. They live in there. They live in there. There's no direct mail, there's no convention, there's no booth at the B2B convention, there's no local radio ad, there's nothing that converts even remotely close to Facebook ads to 50 to 80 year olds in America. I know this because my company spends hundreds of millions of dollars on Facebook ads. You don't think it's true because you just decided it's not true. We are living in the greatest era in marketing of a delta in between practitioners versus headline readers. Practitioner, headline readers. That's it. That's what I see. And so for me, I'm yelling and coming and doing talks and writing books and making content mainly because I want to be historically correct. That's it. Because it's going to go away. And when social media advertising becomes properly priced the way that search engine and SEO and search engine marketing and search has evolved or how television evolved, well then we're gonna have to hope as business and humans that there's an underpriced variable somewhere in the marketplace and it's not always extreme and at scale. And so I'm just trying to motivate people to actually know what they're talking about in this environment instead of making conclusions based on a couple articles they read in the Wall Street Journal. And what I can tell you right now is 
no matter what your personal judgment is on technology, no matter what your personal judgment is on how much time people spend on a phone or Facebook or Instagram or influencers, no matter what your opinions are, that has nothing to do with your business. And so I highly recommend, since we're now in the sixth inning of the opportunity, for you to start getting serious because it's gonna go away. And when I say go away, it'll be there. TV ads are still there. It's just gonna be properly priced, not underpriced. You can still buy in Dumbo. Got it? Cool, thank you. I really would like to open up q and I just recently started paying attention to LinkedIn and um, I noticed that of course, as you mentioned before, people don't pay attention to email marketing and they have a very short attention span. So I've been keeping my LinkedIn videos to below a minute and I've been building my following. I think I started the year at about 500. I think I'm up to about 1,300 connections right now. Um, my question is, at what point will I have enough connections for it to make sense for me to actually obtain LinkedIn for marketing? Or am I, should I start doing that now already? You should start doing that now, here's why. How many connections you have is a nice vanity metric, but for what you're trying to achieve for business, it may not map, right? I mean, I always tell people, you could have eight million followers on Instagram if none of them buy and that's your agenda, that's bad business, right? So what's great about advertising is I can run LinkedIn ads right now against people that hold specific titles within organizations. How many people here are in B2B? Anybody? Great. Like, you, you know exactly who you sell to. Whether it's the CFO, the CIO, the head of marketing, like you literally know the titles of the companies you're trying to reach. You can run videos and pictures right now against all the companies you'd ever dreamed of doing business with who hold that title and since you know they're gonna see it, you know what content to put in front of them or you don't, everyone's different at sales. But the reality is you can target very specifically. Like I'm literally running ads for my wine, right? against people who are Latino Americans that live in Houston and I'm running ads on Facebook on that with a Latino American drinking the wine making references about James Harden. I don't know what people think is going on on the internet but it is remarkably uh, effective. Uh, and the only vulnerability you have against such a powerful ad product is, is your picture, video, and written words interesting enough to get somebody to do something? But it's very hard to get in front of somebody today. My big argument for Chase and everybody else is they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to run television commercials in a world where nobody's looking at that. Nobody's running home tonight going through their direct mail very carefully. Like, it's hard to get in front of people. Attention spans are tough. People don't want ads. So we have this place where you can get in front of people and people aren't taking advantage of it. So I would run ads from day one, just to learn. Like if nothing else, if you're here today, go spend a hundred bucks just to call my bluff. And, and, like, and it's really funny, people are like, well where do I start? You start at a place called Google. You type in how do I run a LinkedIn ad, enter. Free information. So you should run them against your business objective because what's amazing about LinkedIn is targeting based on job title. And that is super effective. Questions? Yes, sir. 
um, how much money should we use to get started? As, for me, as much as you can afford that doesn't feel like it hurts you. You know? If, if you want to test a hypothesis, you spend as much as you can to get the cleanest read, but you don't want to put yourself in a precarious spot, right? So for me, historically, I've spent between 20 and 30% of my money and energy and mental strategy on things I have no answers for. And what most people do is they find something that works and they spend 110% of their energy on that until they squeeze the out of it and then eventually it has no returns and they become vulnerable. Yes, sir. You made a very interesting point uh, in the beginning about how many uh, readers see things as kind of like, you know, in the crowd of emails that they feel bombarded with. What are some of the suggestions you could make that makes either a Facebook click or LinkedIn click more relevant, compelling, and something that's not seen as, frankly, a nuisance? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think it's very similar to what the gentleman just said. To me, there's a reason my wine brand is called Empathy. I've come to realize 20 years into my career this has been the disproportionate trait that has helped me be successful. As a manager and a leader of people, as somebody, like to me, what's so funny about businesses is how audacious they are that somebody wants to see their advertising. What, you know, for me it's very easy. The reason I make content that works and advertising that works is I reverse engineer what I think a human would like. Nobody wants to give you like your money, like their money if like you're not giving them something compelling. So I, I think it's a lot of testing and learning, which is why where I'm going with most people is like you have to make a lot more content. A lot of people here have run Facebook ads and it didn't work because they ran one ad one time and they decided it didn't work, right? So it's different creative options. I think there's only two things that actually work, education and entertainment. If you literally think about every time you put out a piece of content, are you educating somebody or are you entertaining them, you will do dramatically better because what most people do is try to sell something. QVC doesn't have as good of ratings as Game of Thrones, right? Educate, entertain. I have over-indexed because I do both. That's just my personality, that worked for me, but that doesn't work for everybody, and there's plenty of things that don't work for me. So you have to reverse engineer yourself as well. If you're a small business and you're gonna try this, you have to figure out how you best communicate. So for me it's a video, but you might be a great writer, but you're uncomfortable in front of a camera. Or you like the gift of gab, but you're in front, not in front of a camera, so you have to do audio and do a podcast or an audio post. So it's reverse engineering first, your own deploying self-awareness of how are you as a communicator, and then, once you decide if you're writing, videoing, or audioing it, then you've gotta think about entertainment and education. I tell a lot of service providers to give away every secret. I do. I have clients paying me tens of millions of dollars in fee, but if you carefully watch all my information on the internet, you can get it for free. I think the reason they pay the delta is at the end of the day, and I think we all understand this, I can only be so specific with my information, right? If I sit down with them for two hours on their B2B business, their business will grow. We're ready. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think those details is ultimately the small delta, but the reality is I can get you to third and a half base for free. So if you talk about the product base, you know, business, uh, like you have your wine business. Yes. In comparison to the Facebook and Instagram, which one performs better for you? 
both can perform better for everybody in this room. It's the creative variable that is what you have to figure out, right? Like going, if you go through you know, the articles on the news from the last one and a half or two years, Instagram has like a great traction rate when compared to Facebook. Has a great what? <laughs> like engagement on daily basis where people coming in, so. Yeah, but Facebook also has a much better attention of 50 to 80 year olds who tend to have more money to buy wine. And uh, how do you decide, you know? I do both. Um, like how do you split the marketing budget for, you know, for both? I basically cross, I basically spend 50% of my budget across all platforms and then I watch results and then I double down on what's working. That's it. I don't guess. And I definitely don't overpay for stuff that worked in 1994. <laughs> yes, sir. If you look at the table, we manufacture fabric that uh, goes like that. So we're a smaller company in a declining industry with very specific customer base. Yes. This is not going to be a million people buying rolls. Makes sense. So we've been. So the question is, is that we, when we do social media, we really got to focus in on a very niche group. You need. To, you need. Fabric. Yeah. You need to be spending 85% of your social media attention and energy on LinkedIn. You need to make content for the buyers of this stuff. And you think paid is the, is the way to go? Of course, because as, as opposed to just posting on your own. Of course, because who's going to randomly show up on your LinkedIn page talking about fabric? Well, I have ten thousand. I have ten thousand LinkedIn people who I've cultivated over the years. I highly recommend you run paid. Okay. You have to understand why. When you know exactly who's going to see it, you then know what to say. It's like being in a sales pitch. If you know, who, who, what title do people have usually when they buy this? What are they, the what? You know, I was thinking about that yeah. when you brought it up. Yeah. It really gave me some thought. And uh, you know, a lot of times it's, it's the owner of the company, yeah. if it's a smaller, yeah. or it could be a purchasing agent, which is not so far from the owner because it's, the companies aren't so large. Makes sense. So, I mean, that, that's how I think about it. Like, I think about you going on LinkedIn, are you, are, are you national? Is it, is it we sell, regional? We sell, we sell mostly in the United States, a little bit in Canada, but that's the extent of our marketplace. 10% in the five boroughs, maybe 20% in the metro area, but the rest is around the country. Yeah, so I would just pick different markets um, for different reasons. Um, you, you also, uh, I think testimonials still play. You know, you've probably got three or four clients that really like you because you have a long-standing relationship. So literally them even filming something on a phone and sending it to you and he's from, or she's from Cincinnati and you run the ads on small businesses in Cincinnati. Like there's so much smart stuff that can be done. But I would say LinkedIn is, eight, in a B2B fabric you know, business, you're talking about 85% of LinkedIn. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yes, sir. Um, so let's say you ran the LinkedIn ads or any social media and then now you have an influx of whatever, whether it's leads or deals coming in or new clients. Let's say your your business has been running well and you're you know you're you're doing okay. Now you have to scale up and you yes. have to hire more people. Yes. I know you've scaled pretty fast yes. <laughs> in terms of your company size. Yeah we've gone from twenty to 980 people in six and a half years. Yeah, so, so not everybody can handle, how do you manage that and how do you scale properly? 
by firing. I'm being serious, I'm giving you the answer. The reason I'm able to scale is because I don't overthink hiring like 99% of people who have too much ego and insecurity in hiring and think they're good at hiring. I have emotional intelligence coming out of my pores and I've made a million bad hires because everyone's a PR agent of themselves when you're hiring them. Um, The reason I've been able to scale is I hold no ego in making a wrong hiring decision. I just move quickly in firing when I know they're wrong. If you fire everybody, then you're probably the problem. (laughs) Yes, sir. So among some of the stuff that I do is uh, festivals, okay. food and uh, largely beer festivals. This excites me. Uh, one of them is called, <laughs> that I came up with last year, is called the World's Fair, playing off the original one. Yeah, it's awesome. It takes place at City Field. That's cool. So obviously email marketing, Facebook, Instagram has been huge. We sell tickets, we sell 10,000 tickets, so it's a big number that we yeah. hit. Um, but I found the conversion is very difficult because for us we'd spend as much money as possible because every ticket sale obviously is value for us. So I'm just curious from your standpoint, what other areas should I look at? I mean, Facebook and Instagram. Assets. Facebook and Instagram sells tickets. My, con- my concern is that you ran way too little creative and you didn't target it properly. You know, the product works. I've watched, you know, I, I, we, we do a lot of event marketing. I've, seen people sell 40,000 tickets through Facebook and Instagram only, but they also ran 937 different pictures and videos against 874 different segmentations. What most people do on Facebook and Instagram is make one flyer, post it, and run it against everybody in Queens. Got it? This is, you know, I always tell people, it works. You know what else works? A basketball. You know what the ROI of a basketball is for LeBron James? A billion dollars. You know what the ROI of a basketball is for me? Nothing. The ROI of Facebook and Instagram is very clear. You just might not be good at it. I think you should get good at it. Are there companies that you would suggest? Because obviously, you know, some, there's many companies that tell you that they can do so. My personal point of view is it's so important that I'd rather you allocate 10 hours of your life to four hours of watching YouTube and reading on the internet and then testing and trying to learn for yourself for six hours. Got it? People are always like, Gary, who should, we should hire your company. Who should I hire? I go, I'm not sure, but I know one thing. If you don't know how to be the judge and jury of something you're hiring, you're already vulnerable. Like, this is, like, guys, every day you're, you're reading articles how these platforms are changing our society. The political landscape, the democracy, culture. These things work. You don't think they can sell some tickets? You know, it works. It is in your best interest to allocate 10 hours. You're thrilled to sit down and binge watch Netflix for 13 hours. You don't have 10 hours to learn social media marketing? This is super important. This is not a nice to have. Communication is the foundation of how anything happens with human beings. You need to get serious about this. This is only gonna get more serious, not less. Technology doesn't care about your feelings about it. It will continue to move in one direction. It's time to get serious about this stuff. Very serious. 
Because back to AI and machine learning and AR and voice and Alexa and all this other stuff, you're gonna need to, like, you're gonna need to sell everything on voice. You're, you're gonna have to build a brand so much that when, you're, when people are sitting in their living room, they're gonna say, hey, I wanna buy some fabric, and Alexa picks you. Like, this is real. Like, technology will continue to evolve. I'm telling you guys, Amazon picked on bookstores first, right? The limo guys and gals around here weren't worried about technology until Uber decided to pick on them. Technology will pick on you, every one of you. It just might not be your time yet. Yes, sir. They say that growing a big business requires being a bigger person or a bigger thinker. Do you agree or disagree and how? I mean, that's such a, you know, up here kind of statement. You know, but yeah, I, I do think that if you look at the history of the biggest businesses that were built, they've been operated by women and men who are thinking in 20-year windows, not in 20-day windows. I'm building in perpetuity, so there's a reason my companies get big. The reason I was able to get from 20 to 960 is because I'm playing forever, and so I haven't made as much profit over those nine years as some people want. There's a lot of people here who run businesses because they want the money from the business to buy So yes, I do think it takes long-term strategy, and I also think it takes the ability to understand where the world's going versus where the world used to be. When I, when I make my arguments about the current state of college, people bring up things from, they graduated Wisconsin in 1987. That's cute. That has nothing to do with the kid that's taking $80,000 in debt today and that diploma gives them nothing in the marketplace. So we are just, so yes, I think it, it means, do I understand what, what the market's gonna look like in 24, 36 months? Am I practical today? And do I hold no value other than learnings and thematics, not practical things from 1987? Maybe one more thing if you don't mind. Please. How, uh, how much book reading on business in general has to do with a person's advancement? I've never read a business book in my life. I've written five. <laughs> I think, I think education comes in a lot of forms. I've not read business books because I don't gain information by reading. It's not how my brain works. But if I see something one time, I know exactly what to do with it. I know nothing about the fabric business. If I spent one day with him, I'll know how to disrupt the fabric business. That's how I context, right? So I think education matters, but I don't think it comes in the form. I think we make things literal. And I think we have to be self-aware of who we are to put ourselves in the best position to succeed. And one more. Did you ever have coaches? And no. Do you believe in mentors, coaches? I believe in mentors if that's how you learn. Thank you. You know what I mean? This is a self-awareness game. I, don't, I didn't have mentors and didn't read books not because I want to have an ego and act cool, it's just that that's not how I learn. I, I want to buy very big businesses when the economy collapses, so I started an agency. What I've been doing for nine years, for the last nine years of my life, has not been in my financial interest. I was an early investor in Facebook and Twitter and Uber and Tumblr. I could have raised $300 million and had a VC firm and made tons of money just by taking meetings and hoping I hit another lotto ticket. I'm doing it because the way I learn is by doing. And so the reason I have Chase and Budweiser and Pepsi as clients is by doing the work, I've now learned how those things operate. Now I'll be prepared 
when the economy collapses and I buy something for $200 million to then run that thing until I flip it for $4 billion, buy the Jets, win some Super Bowls, and call it a day. That's how I learn. It would have been much more fun to go to Harvard and take two years of business school than have clients, but that's how I learn. Gary, so you talk a lot about patience. You know, I'm one of your 10 million followers on various platforms. You know, we have a room full of entrepreneurs, various stages. We also have a room full of bankers. Yes. Work for Chase. You know, can you share a little bit of your philosophy on patience? You know, yeah, yeah, I think it's the biggest vulnerability in business. I think people are trying to get to places too fast because they care about what other people think of their success and then they start doing things that don't help them in the long term. I don't understand how people don't act as if they're gonna be around in 10 years. Your reputation matters. If you plan on being in business, patience is foundational. Um, so yeah, I'm very, I'm a, for my kinetic energy, and I'm pretty kind of like mundane for my normal self right now, I'm in the funny zone, I'm like laughing that I'm so like chill, but the reality is I'm ridiculously patient. To me, I'm playing in perpetuity. I'm gonna be a businessman at 84 years old, so what am I scared of? I love when people like, you know, when I put out patience content, they're like, you might get hit by a bus. I'm like, I might. I promise you I'm not gonna give a if I'm dead. <laughs> right, so I think patience is grossly underestimated. Business and life is a marathon. 99% of people think it's a sprint. Why they think it's a sprint is why I've gotten interested. I didn't realize how many people cared about other people's opinions because I got very lucky in parenting DNA and circumstance that that wasn't my framework. So people are impatient because they wanna buy a car to look good in front of people or they wanna get a new title to update their LinkedIn to show people they're succeeding. Like I just, the thought of navigating your life predicated on keeping up with the Joneses is the quickest way to unhappiness. So I'm trying to make patients cool because it's gonna make people happy. Hey guys, we interrupt this podcast for a special alert. Super curious what you were just doing right now. Hit me up on Twitter, Gary VEE. Hit me up on Twitter, Gary VEE, with exactly what you were doing right this second while you were listening. But, you know, like open up Twitter, reply, at Gary VEE, this is what I was doing. Dying to know. Anybody on the left? Go ahead, my man. <coughs> Earlier when you mentioned um, something about venture capitalism, yes. something that you recommend a smaller business to consider to have a larger paid media campaign? Raise VC money just for the sake of doing more marketing? Not strictly just for that sake, but to dedicate a portion of the budget to that. I'm not a huge fan of venture capital. You know, I, as I've lived it over the last decade, what I've come to realize, and I have nothing against VCs, nor do I have anything against banks, high net worth individuals, or a million other ways one can fund. I think it got cool in the last decade. I don't think people understand that VC's jobs are to push a portfolio of 50 companies to go too fast, too hard, to create one flip that pays for the whole nut while 49 other companies crash and burn. So, you know, it's not my favorite, you know, because, and I have empathy for VCs. Their job is to return money for LPs. I think a lot of entrepreneurs have become naive to what venture capitalists are trying to achieve and thus get caught, because they think they're, sp I, I love all these small businesses that have figured out how to make businesses, then are thinking their VCs are smarter than them. It's been really fascinating for me to watch. So, you know, 
Look, I think expansion and growth is super important. I've historically been somebody who likes to take the profits from my business and reinvest it in my growth instead of being vulnerable to a bank or a VC or outside money, mainly because I haven't been interested in extracting maximum profit so I can buy cars and watches and other dumb shit. And so that's how I've done it. But you know, it's if you find some sort of creative ad campaign pay dirt that's so remarkable that it's the best thing that's ever happened in your business and you could even do more if you had a cash infusion, it's probably a good idea to find cash, but not in theory. Great, thank you. You got it. You mentioned earlier that you know Facebook, LinkedIn, marketing, it's in around the sixth inning. What are you doing with your current businesses in terms of marketing that you think is closer to you know the beginning stages, the first or second grade? Podcast pre-roll. Influencer marketing, LinkedIn is actually not in the sixth inning. I would actually argue it's in the third inning. Um, that. YouTube pre-roll based on people's search query. Everybody here could run YouTube pre-roll videos based on people's search behavior. So talk about getting, why Google AdWords worked is it's intent marketing. Somebody types in, they need fabric. That's just good, we don't have to guess. Understanding what people are searching on Google and then being able, so I go on Google and I search for, you know, metal scrap, fabric, wine, shoes, jewelry, lawyer, I need a banker. This is what I type in. Three days later I go on YouTube to watch New York Jets highlight videos and you pop up as a pre-roll predicated on my search and saying, are you in the market for metal scraps? I'll be like, I am. <laughs> so that's a behavior I think a lot of you should start doing. Because that video is more effective in branding and conversion than the blue letters and being the search results paying on Google. They both work. But blue letters on Google results, that's sales. Intent, sales. Pre-roll on YouTube is brand and marketing. That's the ultimate way to sell when it comes to you. So. So I think about that. Yes, sir. Um, and there's a lot of people who got really, really good on Facebook, on YouTube, and uh, marketing. Yep. And a lot of times they're not really bringing value, and I only love some of them, like <coughs> cash in their hands, and the marketing is behind them. How do you think it affects uh, real people, that real businesses that advertise on, you know, on those platforms? I don't think it affects at all. They lose their value. Because you know, you go on YouTube, that's all you see. You know, as I said, somebody's fabricating. Uh, uh, steel products, but there's someone who really be good in marketing, uh, but not necessarily good value for the, for the... That has nothing to do with you. These hucksters that are like selling like pyramid schemes and courses and all this stuff, like that has no impact on you other than they're buying ads and the cost of the ad may go up, but at the end of the day, I think it's a non-event, you know? Like, oh, like, what would that have to do with you? I'm just saying, how does it dilute the value of that everyone, every one of the business owners tries, tries to uh, bring to the platform? It doesn't. It doesn't take away the attention from uh, what it actually want to do business? I don't believe so. Not, in the, not enough in the way that you're thinking. Like, I understand what you're saying and like yeah. could, do, look, humans don't like ads, period. Right? So what you have to get good at is what, this is why I'm glad you guys have this book, if you care about this, like, 
or forget the book, like there's tons of free information on the internet. You have to be good at the first three seconds of a pre-roll YouTube ad. Whether there's hucksters with Lamborghinis and half-naked girls saying, give me money and you'll be like this, has nothing to do with when your ad pops up. And if the first three seconds are boring and not interesting and doesn't catch anybody and doesn't bring any value, doesn't educate or entertain, then you're not gonna convert anyway. That has nothing to do with hucksters. You know what I mean? Problem is once you click on it, you know, because you want to, you know, I guess they really, as I said, they're really good at uh, what they do, grabbing your attention for the first five seconds or ten seconds, and then you end up everywhere you go, you keep seeing this ad, you know, because that's that's how it works. And that's why digital marketing will fade off the same way the television fades off. You're right in the macro, just not in what is going to matter the next 24, 36, 48 months. You understand? Facebook doesn't work the way it did seven years ago. If you read the first version of this book in 2009 called Crush It, you'd be one of the 500,000 people that have emailed me that want me to kiss my face because I changed their life. It, I'm telling you, this is real estate. I just do real estate in people's attention. I'll keep using Dumbo or whatever else. Somebody bought Manhattan for a dollar an acre. That's 300 years ago, but you know what I mean? I mean like, yeah. Yes, sir. Go ahead. So a lot of people know what Gary Vee of now is or are. And what was Gary Vee of before? And what was the one thing that was most influential in, in the transformation? I th- you know, well I need to, I guess I need to ask you what you think it's transformed into, right? I mean I think the, the more people know who I am because I eat my own dog food. I've made myself somebody people know on executing on everything I'm asking you to do. I'm not on a hit television show. I don't do a morning radio show. I don't exist on mainstream media. I turn down television deals every day. I've executed on the five to seven platforms where I know Americans are actually living. Not just Americans, the world. So. You know, I'm the same guy. You know, I've been saying the same things. I mean, one of the most fun things I've been doing, if, how many people here follow me on Instagram? I appreciate it. So I think you've maybe seen over the last three months I've been doing these kind of clips where I show myself six years ago and today. I'm saying the same <laughs> My junior high friends on Facebook are, are putting out funny content of like me saying something today and they're like, he said that to me in sixth grade when we were selling baseball cards. Like I'm, I'm very narrow. I'm just talking about very tried and true, immigrant, hard work, do the right thing, you know, execute, bring value. The, the only difference today is many, many, many more people know who I am based on what I'm telling everybody to do. I'm a byproduct of my thesis. They're realistic. I'm so practical, brother. Like, I talk about technology, but I'm so practical. I came from a place where, like, the, our business was how we lived. You know what I mean? I'm not, you know, this is why I laugh, because now I'm in big corporate America, and the people that try to debate me on marketing are professors. I have no problem with a professor. I have a lot of respect for teachers. I feel like I teach. Here's my problem. I'm in the trenches doing. I'm doing it every day. I'm writing. I'm posting on Instagram. I'm replying to you on Twitter. Me. I'm still putting in the work. I'm in the dirt. 
and I'm, I'm, I'm having debates with people that are sitting in ivory towers. Those are my favorite debates. Because 15 minutes in, they're in deep. <laughs> because I can talk in detail. Yes, sir. Um, question. Uh, was really interested that you come from a former Soviet background union, uh, former Soviet Union background, and what, if anything, have you taken with you and held on to? A lot, right? Like, you know, I, I came when I was three, so I don't remember Belarus, but, you know, the first 10 years of being in America, whether it was in Queens or Edison, New Jersey, like, I was living in a Soviet household, right? We were getting acclimated, and so, you know, my parents both lost parents at a very young age. They lived in Soviet Russia. My inability to complain is foundational to my success. My ability to take on all accountability for anything that's not working is foundational to my success. You just eat it, basically. 100%, who, the audacity, the entitlement of a modern day American is one of the funniest things in the world. Everybody's walking around like they're owed something. Right, I eat it. I literally think every, you know how fun it is and how light you live life when you walk into your business and every single thing is your fault? The reason if you fire everybody, you might be the problem is, and I have no idea, but like one of the theories or the things that I've seen is that it means that you're not willing to be accountable. When I fire somebody, earlier I said firing, that was my fault. I hired them. When we lose a client because of the head of strategy or creative or media, that's my fault. I empower them. Once you take on full accountability, life gets awesome. Once you realize everything is your fault and you're in control, you know why everybody's so upset? They think somebody has control over them. I don't give a who the mayor, who the governor, who the president is. I'm gonna live. It's real facts. And by the way, if you don't like it, move to Sweden. Like. You're in control. I think that's, you know, my parents, for, you know, and I'm not sure that's a Soviet thing, that was my parents, but I... I, it, I, I believe it is. It's, uh, they just, you know, all the emotions go out and it's, it's get the job done. Yeah, dude, when you have context where like you had to stay in line for bread, for, there are people who complain every day and like just complain, but are buying $7 coffees at Starbucks. <laughs> like, do you know how soft you are when you buy $7 coffee? <laughs> I went on one family vacation in my life growing up. I worked every day from 14 years old, every weekend, every single summer day. I have no entitlement. I built a $65 million business for my mom and dad and left at 34 years old with no money because I didn't pay myself anything while I was building it. So when these kids are talking about being sad and want to be somebody, I was 34 years old and built a $65 million business. I built it, right? And I left with nothing and started over at 34. Zero. I started VaynerMedia in the conference room of Buddy Media's company because I had no money to pay for our own rent. I lack entitlement. It's my strength. I took that from them. Hats off, thank you. Appreciate it. Gary, on, on that topic. Yes. Work-life balance. Seems like you work 24 seven. Yeah. Been doing that since you were 14. Yeah. Like, how do you balance that out with I, personal life? I, I don't work on weekends, I take seven weeks vacation and I don't share content about my family so it doesn't look like I'm there but that's a family decision and 
and it will evolve, right? My kids are getting older, I'm adjusting in a different way. I think the biggest mistake people make is they take on the current state of political correctness in parenting, which is an always evolving thing. So I think you just have to communicate with your partner and navigate. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for your time here today. Thank you. Uh, I'm in health and fitness business, and it's pretty booming uh, with our population obesity issues in the United States. Uh, my main question is: Do I do everything? Uh, I watch you every morning. Starts with your uh, thank you. Thank you. So <clears throat> thank you for your motivation. I would quit corporate job if I wouldn't listen to you. Just to mention that, and I'm also from Belarus, so I'm very proud Amazing. of you, and Thank I hope you. my kids will be proud of me also. Thank one you. Day. They will be. Um, so um, I do run Facebook ads. Facebook is live for businesses, especially in health and fitness. I do LinkedIn, I do Instagram, I do all that. I do not pay much attention to Twitter, Snapchat, or Tumblr, Pinterest. Should I do that to have more exposure, or are they useless? I think you should allocate 20% of your time and energy to Twitter and Pinterest just to know if it can bring you value. Got it, okay, another question. I, uh, my niche is not like a straightforward niche. I work as with youth starting five years old till our aging population. We're talking about uh, from 50 to 70 years old. That's okay. my clientele. Okay. It's very broad. I do not like limit myself, right? And I love it because I have more hits, but some people say you have to go like and find your niche. My main question is, what do we do with nudity? Every single health and fitness business, you go on Instagram or Facebook, all you see is naked, I'm sorry, parts of the body, yes. exposure. But my clientele is kids and families, yes. family training. How do I go about this? Each time I met, uh, I notice that if I do post myself like in a cute bikini, right, which I try not to, to <laughs> due to, uh, you know, my personal beliefs, and I want to be generous about yes. myself. I don't want to be someone else. I got it. Because it's not me. Of course. So how do I do that? How do I fight that? But I realize you, if I do that, I get so many hits. Like people are just bombarding me to get my nutritional service. I totally so understand. I nutrition so I think you have to think about it, right? So a couple things. First of all. The reality is too many people pander to getting likes, right? If you're telling me that your bikini pictures are driving more sales because women are inspired by that, well then I would say that's a good business decision. If all your likes are pervy dudes and they're not converting into business, then that's a bad business decision, right? You know, you don't have to fight anything. It's, it's actually a very similar question to the gentleman next to you. Uh, you guys are two peas in the pod. You, you guys are two peas in the pod. I couldn't be more passionate to get the two of you to not worry about what anybody else is doing. You know, just, you know, it just doesn't matter. Like, yes, like, you know, soft porn gets high engagement on Instagram because men are wired a certain way. That's fine, but that has nothing to do with business. If your self-esteem is wrapped up in how many likes you get versus other people. Don't care about likes. Well then, the reality is is that if you're telling me that when you go bikini photos, it's driving conversion to your URL on Instagram for your product, that means you're inspiring, right? That means you're inspiring the target demo, and that's good. I'm, you know, now, if you're uncomfortable personally in doing that because it doesn't re- represent who you are, then don't do it. Got it. I got offered $20 million to do an MLM network marketing thing in China seven years ago, long before it was obvious that anything you did would be found some way, somehow. That was 
more money than I made in the prior 20 years combined and I didn't do it because it didn't feel good to me because I don't believe in pyramid schemes. Understand, thank you. So like you're in control. Thank you, thank you Gary. Yes sir. Yes, uh, Gary, how are you? My name's I'm well. Nice to see you. Yes, nice to see you too. Um, I, I was wondering, uh, when you took your family business yes. from four million to 65 million, uh, what, was there like a moment of clarity of when you said, okay, um, you had like uh, targets or things like that, that, that you knew you were ready to? Nope. Nope, I just wanted to sell as much wine to as many people that were willing to drink it. I keep things very basic, right? Like people ask me all the time, like if you know, back to different ways of learning, right? Like for me, I want to try to buy the New York Jets, right? That is what I'm up to professionally, right? So that's what I think about theoretically when I make decisions, right? Uh, when I sold a piece of VaynerMedia to Steve Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, that was not a good business deal for me. It was great for Steve, but it was great for me in the macro because I started networking in the football family because one day I'm gonna need them to vote me in. You know, the only thing I was thinking when I was building Wine Library was I was so grateful for my parents that I was going to use all my natural ability that I thought I had based on selling baseball cards and other things and build this business as big and as bad as I possibly could and that was going to be on the back of empathy for customers. I knew that I was learning a lot about wine and when I was tasting wine, I knew that everybody was buying Santa Margarita Pinot Grigio and Kendall Jackson Chardonnay and that if I tasted a wine that was better for less money and I could recommend it when he walked in that I was gonna build reputation of knowing. Not how much margin I was making on it versus something else. I was playing long. I play long, right? <laughs> right, like I play long. That's what this is about for me. That's what this morning's about. This is not the best use of my financial time. I'm playing long. I'm trying to impact build reputation, create serendipitous opportunity, right? Feels good to hear these stories. Feels good. You know what it feels like? This is back to happiness over money, right? You know how nice it feels to hear another human being say that you inspired me not to be in a corporate job and I'm happy? It's awfully hard for me to get a big deal that makes me feel better than that. So, no, I, I, there was no, you know, I'm not literal. This is why I was a DNF student. I'm not like tactical like that. It's very macro for me. It's very basic. I trade on seven to 10 things, right? Like provide value, do the right thing. But the, but the superpower I have and the thing that I'm sharing here today is I'm very good at understanding how human beings make decisions. And I'm very good at intuitively understanding where human beings are spending their time and I'm not ideological about it. I will sit in this same chair in eight years and make fun of Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. I don't care about social media. I don't care about technology. I care about human beings' attention so I can tell them something, so I can make them do something. Hey guys, just to jump in here, it's super important for you to actually take action on the stuff I put out. Like there was a lot of tangible advice here. Like actually do this. You know, just like you tweeted me um, and stop this, just Finish this podcast and literally go directly to LinkedIn. Some of you haven't updated it because you think of it as still as a resume place or an HR thing or a recruiting thing. Go figure out how to post a con- you know a piece of content on LinkedIn. Go right now and just t- write seven, ten sentences about the state of the union of your industry or what you see happening in your world. Go do a LinkedIn blog post right now. 
Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.